0: Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program featuring reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda. Our show is sponsored by the annual Dosis and Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Dr. Luzona Zona from the First Friday Club. We will also hear more about the life of St. Lucy in our Healing Saints segment, and the readings for this 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more on wineskins. In our current issue today, we will hear from Martha Coulter, on Curcio. Joining me again is Martha Coulter, who is part of the Curcio team here in the Diocese of Youngstown and also a parishioner of St. Jude in Columbiana. Welcome back to Wineskins.
1: Thank you, Father. It's good to be here.
0: You know, Martha, the last time you were here, we spent some time talking about your personal experience in the Curcio movement and how important it is and what it means to community and also your fellow sisters in Christ. What I'd like us to talk about now is when someone experiences the Kursia movement and goes back to their parish on the weekends or during the week, what is all involved? Is there a follow-up? Is there something that they can do? Is there something they can bring to their fellow parishioners that will kind of get that spark that they've experienced in the weekend alive with other people.
1: Well, the beauty of the Curseo Method is that after the weekend, we encourage all the people who make a weekend to be part of what we call a group reunion. Mm. And so if they are involved in a group reunion, they have accountability. It's the accountability of the group sisters to help encourage us to maybe find avenues and areas of which our natural God-given talents can be implemented within the church and whatever is out there.
0: When we talk about parish life, at least I noticed as a former pastor, now retired, that kind of get the same people involved all the time. Absolutely. Why is that? And what does Curcio do to help try to bring new blood into the church.
1: I think that famous saying, what, 20% of the people do 80% of the work or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I think the the blessing that I got from my weekend was, now I understood why it was important for me to be involved, Mm -hmm. not just to do it, like it was just some rote thing that I did. When I realized through my Curcio experience that whatever gifts and talents that I had, they were God-given, that it was my responsibility to use those gifts and talents Mm -hmm. and to find a place, and not always within the church. I mean, that's important, but there are so many ministries that are outside the church walls. Mm -hmm. I know at St. Jude, we have a beautiful apostolate called Caritas, and even though we cook and we take care of feeding those in need. It was grown through an experience such as Curcio, So Mm -hmm. I think it just gives us some ideas and some avenues of things that God is calling us to do as Christian witnesses in the world. You
0: know, my experience too is that we're all good at something, you know, whether it's cooking or or baking or cleaning floors or cleaning the church or answering the phone Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that we can do for the church. Find what it is that you're good at, that you like doing that gives life to people and do it. Mm-hmm. How often are we kind of afraid to come forward and say, "I really like doing this. Can I get involved? right You know because sometimes we want to be invited and sometimes we want to be asked to do things, but sometimes the pastor or the parish council don't always know, Who's good at what? Right. So there's a, a sense that we've got to make the initiative sometimes. Does Curcio encourage people to get involved?
1: Absolutely. You know, on the weekend, the women are going to hear a series of talks. And these talks are layered. Mm-hmm. It starts out with very basic talks. And it goes up to, you know, really that great commission is to go out into the world and to make more disciples. Mm-hmm. And I think that by the time the weekend is finished, you feel that empowerment you do and like I said the accountability that you have with your group sisters I say in one of my talks that oftentimes we don't recognize those gifts and talents within ourselves mm-hmm. it takes others to see them in us mm-hmm. and I think sometimes when you are with a group of women who see something in you that encouragement it's priceless mm-hmm. once again my own experience with my weekend I wouldn't be here sitting with you today had I not mm-hmm. felt that love and that encouragement from the other women that I witnessed with on that weekend. What would you tell
0: the folks that are with us about Curcio and how important it was for you to make that step to take it and how important it should be and will be for them?
1: You know, women, we love special treatment. You know, we'll go get our nails done. We'll go to a spa, whatever. This is like all of those wrapped up in one. Mm -hmm. And to be able to go on a weekend experience with other like-minded women, to be encouraged and pampered. And I can't give too much away, but it's an opportunity to pamper yourself spiritually and to allow the Holy Spirit through the generosity of the women on the weekend to just give you that spa experience. (laughs) I don't want to be overselling it.
0: (laughs) Well, Martha Coulter, we certainly appreciate you being back on Wineskins and encouraging the folks that are with us to participate in Curcio. I know that my parents, God rest their souls, were big Curcio people way back in the day in the the 60s and in the 70s. I, I remember them being very involved in that. So I know what spark got into them through the Kersia movement. And I know that spark is still alive here in the Kersia movement, here in the diocese. And we encourage those folks that are with us to look more into it, to participate. And we thank you for what you do. I'm happy to do it. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. St. Lucy is a patron saint of those with eye disorders or disease. To tell us more about this holy martyr is Jim Krivanek. He is from St. Michael Church in Canfield.
2: St. Lucy, who lived in Syracuse, Italy, lost her life during the persecution of Christians. Lucy warned Pasquanius, the rejected bridegroom, that he would be punished. When the governor heard this, he ordered the guards to gouge out her eyes. However, in another telling, it was Lucy who discouraged a persistent suitor who greatly admired them. A Greek inscription found at her tomb testifies to the devotion to the saint by the end of the 4th or the beginning of the 5th century. A church was built over her tomb and dedicated to St. Agatha in the 17th century. It is likely that Pope Gregory the Great inserted her name in the Roman canon of the Mass. There are two monasteries, one in Syracuse and one in Rome, that bear her name. As with Cecilia, Agnes, and Agatha, St. Lucy gives witness to both virginity and martyrdom. Since the third century, virgins have been honored in third place in the liturgy after the apostles and martyrs. When the persecutions ended, consecrated virginity represented a high degree of sanctity. Martyrdom gives witness to the heroism of one's faith and the power of God which conquers through the cross of Christ. But assaults against consecrated virginity are also attacks against the faith. The combination of virginity and martyrdom in a young girl like St. Lucy should serve to rid us of the idea that women are weak and fragile creatures. Lucy manifested remarkable courage through her trials and torments. Let us pray, good St. Lucy. Let the light of our Christianity illumine our daily lives. Please help us to have courage to bring our Christianity to work, recreation, relationships, conversations, every moment of every day. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. More Wineskins, I'm Jim Krivenak.
0: With me again is Dr. Luzona, who is executive director of the Butler Institute of American Art. Welcome back to Wineskins. Oh, a
3: pleasure to be here.
0: You know, Dr. Zona, last time you were with us, I just love listening to your insights about art, about family, about who we are created in God's image and artists ourselves. What I'd like to do is kind of go back to the first Friday Club presentation that happened back in March, and you started out talking about Michelangelo and Leonardo. What made them so great, not only in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes?
3: You know, you you hear different things, you read different things about the two men, and whether they really had faith, mm-hmm. the kind of faith that they portrayed in their artwork. Mm-hmm. I think the general feeling is that, that they had a faith that was, as we said last time, really buried into them. Michelangelo, uh, just imagine how he felt looking at the pieta that he had created. He is able to capture that moment when mm-hmm. Christ is put in the arms of his mother. It's so real. Mm-hmm. And I love what he what he would point out to the fact that when a block of marble would come from Carrara he would say to the crowd that would be standing around, do you see him? Do you see Moses in there? Do you you see his face? Do you see, you know Mm -hmm. Um, now it's my turn to free him from the block.
0: Just powerful, just powerful powerful image.
3: And then I I wish that I had been a part of that group of people that walked into the Sistine Chapel for the very first time after Michelangelo's uh, work Mm -hmm. had completed and supposedly they dropped to their knees, thinking that only the Lord himself could have done this.
0: You know, it's interesting when you were talking about that. I remember the very first time I went to Italy and to Rome and walked into the Sistine Chapel, and this was in the the late 70s, before the Restoration. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into the Sistine Chapel and people looking up, and we all looked up and we really didn't see much of anything but kind of a dark black grainy (laughs) ceiling and some of us knew that we were in the Sistine Chapel but many people didn't have anything to look at because Mm -hmm. over the centuries it had just darkened and and was really not visible and I remember going back uh, many years later after the restoration and it was almost like scales were taken off my eyes and I could see the vividness of the frescoes, mm-hmm. as if they were just painted yesterday, mm-hmm. just the difference there, right? You know, and that was really artists at work restoring Michelangelo's right. masterpiece without
3: attempting at all to alter anything. Mm-hmm. Just exactly. to remove the the grime from the surface is all they were mm-hmm. chartered to do. Yeah. And then there's Leonardo. It's hard to believe. Well, here's a man of science. But his portrayal of Mary and of Jesus through his work tells me that he was obviously more than a scientist. He was a person of great faith. Mm -hmm. That comes through
0: for sure. There was an opportunity that I had uh, recently to go to the Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Uh Florida. And I want to jump from Leonardo to Salvador Dali if you've ever been to the museum, it's it's just spectacular. Some of his work there, people have not ever seen, right. but this museum is just dedicated to him, and he was just such an eccentric yeah. type of person, but what an artist he was. Right,
3: and that's why he was put on this earth. Mm. People, sinners like Jackson Pollock were put on the earth to show the greatness of the creative experience and mimicking the ultimate creative experience, the creation of the universe by God.
0: You know, another person that you had talked about at the First Friday Club was uh, Louise Nevelson. Yeah some of her stuff is just so fascinating to just to see this woodwork and try to envision what exactly is she seeing herself as she puts this together. Uh, When you experience her, what do you experience?
3: Well, you know, I I actually got to meet her and she came when we dedicated the uh, first expansion at the Butler Institute. We wanted somebody special and I had a friend who lived in the same apartment house in New York as Louise Nevelson and I begged him to try to work things out so that she would come to Youngstown and she came Mm -hmm. and she was a lovely person just a wonderful wonderful Mm -hmm. person when I think about her works to me they they almost look like altarpieces exactly you know they're just dynamic and subtle at the same time that those two words don't seem to go together but I, Mm -hmm. I felt that for sure
0: What I'd like you to to talk about briefly is the creative spirit within each of us, because I think God dwells in each of us, and so God's spirit is in us. How do you see that creative spirit working in your life and in other people's lives?
3: I think of my initiation was through my brother, Rest His Soul, who was a commercial artist. Our little bedroom on Center Street in Newcastle Mm no larger than this office. I mean, about half of what, what we're experiencing here, Father. But to see his brilliance come out in the work and being surrounded by it. You know, our, our bedroom was, like I said, his studio. And I would go to bed with him working at his desk and wake up with him working at his desk. And, and out of his hand came these wonderful, wonderful images. So inventive. And I don't know that Jerry had the greatest talent in the world. I know that he had the initiative and just the hard work. So Mm -hmm. I think creativity, that natural thing that's that's born into certain people, along with hard work, Mm -hmm. makes for Michelangelo and
0: Leonardo. I totally agree, totally agree. Well, Dr. Zona, we've come to the end of our time together. It's always a pleasure to have you on Wineskins. Uh, You've been a guest on our television show many times, and we thank you for the wonderful work that you've done for our community at the Butler, but also the work that you've done to open our eyes to God's creative spirit and also the many artists that surround us and that continue to be part of our lives. But Yet to be born.
3: Thank you so much, Father.
0: For what? Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. To receive more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us, we'll be back in a
4: moment. The first Sisters of the Humility of Mary came together in France in 1854. In their rule, approved by the Bishop of Nancy in 1858, The founding sisters gave expression to their faith and their lived experience. The entire community came to the United States of America in 1864, including nine professed sisters, two novices, three orphan girls, and Father John Joseph Begiel, the spiritual director for the little community, and their ecclesial liaison. In regard to the Eucharist, their rule translated into English in 1877 clearly stated that they will love and serve Jesus Christ in his real and natural body that is to say the Holy Eucharist in his temples and they will serve him in his mystic body their neighbors who are his members the personal experiences of the first sisters of the humility of Mary was one of wonder and reception of God's gratuitous gift of love in the person of Jesus Christ. This lived experience was also one of meeting Jesus in the sacrament of the Eucharist, and of meeting and serving Him in the sacrament of their neighbor.
5: They say America is a land of opportunity. But for some of us, it's not so easy. Today, one out of every six children in America lives in poverty. Where every day is hard. And there's never enough. But we don't want a handout, we want a way out. This is America. Together, we can do so much. Will you help?
0: Nearly 13 million children live in poverty. Make a difference. Go to PovertyUSA.org and get involved. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. 33
6: million Americans
0: have descended
6: into poverty. And as their futures fall, so does our nations.
4: Christopher Minnitz. Thoughts on making every day count. Here's Monsignor Jim Lasanti.
5: Major Charity Adams Early commanded the only all-black women's Army Corps unit to serve overseas in World War II. In 1996, she was finally honored for her wartime service. She said, students ask me, how did it feel to know you were making history? But you don't know you're making history when it's happening. I just wanted to do my job. Doing her job meant opposing segregation in the armed forces. In England, Major Adams refused Red Cross equipment for a segregated recreational center. Her battalion was eventually allowed to use the same recreational center as whites. My friends, each person can and should strive to overcome prejudice. We need to speak up not only on our own behalf, but also for others, because that's doing your job as a human being. I'm senior Jim Lassanti of The Christophers. Remember, you do make a difference.
0: Our song today is by Vince Ambrosetti. It is from his CD entitled, Come You Who Labor.
6: If I have the gifts of wisdom and knowledge If I comprehend all the mysteries of life If I have all gifts but have them all without love Love. love is patient and kind and never jealous. Love puts on nowhere and never seeks itself. Love does not rejoice in what. i i The seas will cease, and all the earth grows silent.
0: Our scripture reflections for this 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time will be by Father Tom Eisworth. He is Pastor Emeritus of Blessed Sacrament Church in Warren.
7: Are you one of those organized persons who gathers their tax information in labeled folders throughout the year? In about one hour in early January, you file your tax return. Or are you more like the person who collects their receipts in a shoebox and waits? till April 15th to file your taxes. Which profile is yours? We all know who we are, don't we? Given that God created order out of chaos and that the New Testament urges the church to do all things decently and in order, you would assume that God is squarely on the side of the organized. And without question, God does love the orderly disciplined among us, But our gospel today suggests that God is also the champion of the disorderly and the disorganized. The bottom line in the parable of the wheat and the weeds is that God cares for the final harvest more than he cares for a clean and orderly field. In the story, Jesus tells about a farmer who planted good seed in his field. And then at night, an enemy came and planted poisonous weeds among the wheat. When the hired hands recognized the weeds, they wanted to attack them with sickles. But much to their amazement, the master of the field stopped their onslaught and told them to wait until the plants were all matured. So what was his reason for doing that? The master knew that at the stage of the growing cycle that the eager workers would have great difficulty discerning the wheat from the weeds. I wonder could their anger at the weeds have blinded their eyes to the subtle difference between the good and the bad in the fields? The master knew that. The difference between the two would be much easier to see, and he was much more concerned for the harvest than he was for the orderly and clean field along the way. It is a good thing to be organized. It builds character. It avoids wasted time and effort. But if order and organization become more important than people, then order can become a threat, like the weeds in the wheat fields. A clean house or a clean desk is very important, but not if it comes at the cost of relationships that are precious to you. God knows that our zeal to rid the world of weeds might be dangerous because at times it is difficult to distinguish good from bad in the short run of things. Who are we to know evil from good for any certainty? Some weeds may be good like dandelions and blackberries and honeysuckle. Could it be that the quality that we despise in another, the thing we wish we could weed out of our own life, has great potential in the sight of God for eventual good? Let's trust the God of the harvest, the only one who is qualified to know the difference, the only one who can even convert weeds into wheat by the power of grace. For Wineskins, I am Father Thomas
0: Isworth. God knows that our zeal to rid the world of weeds might be dangerous because at times, it is difficult to distinguish good from bad in the short run of things. And who are we to know evil from good for any certainty? Wineskins is made possible by the annual diocesan appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm your host Father Jim Corda, wishing you a blessed Sunday and a safe
4: What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug
1: this morning. I thought uh,
0: i love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. It <laughs> looks pretty good.
4: I cooked my husband's uh,
1: favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. <laughs> what have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love
2: email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing.
4: <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org, a message from the Catholic Church.
0: They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to PovertyUSA.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.